and good morning. There you go. We can all hear me now. <laughs> and hello to everyone watching on YouTube. It is uh, glorious to be with you here as well. It's so good to be back in the building. I, I did always enjoy like filming our Sunday services. Friday was sort of my favorite day of filming and, and editing. But uh, it's just so much better to be back with um, each other, singing praises together. So hopefully we never have to go back into lockdown again. For those who don't know me, my name is Adam Curtis, and I'm the curate here at Christchurch. And as we come to God's word, let us uh, come in prayer. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you, Father God, that you speak to us. And we pray, Father, will you give us humble hearts so that we are ready to listen now. In the name of Jesus, amen. How do you make something stand out? How do you ensure that people will actually, they take notice and they look at it? I was um, thinking about that. I, I get the week. And as I was flicking through uh, the week this week, there's page after page has adverts in it. And yet in reality, out of, I don't know how many adverts there are, 20 adverts in there? And in reality, only, only one of those adverts actually grabbed me. So how do you make something stand out? How do you make people take notice of it? How do you make people remember it? Um, and this, this sort of, this, this question sort of helps lead us into our passage uh, today because Jesus is clearly trying to do something here. He's trying to stand out. He's trying to make people take notice of him. And we know that because Jesus is acting in a, not an un-Jesus way, but in, in, in a way he doesn't normally do. Normally, normally Jesus is, is in a village doing some healing or some teaching and the crowds come to him. And then Jesus moves on. Normally, Jesus is up a mountain doing some teaching, and the crowds come to him, and he gets in a boat and goes to the other side. Jesus gets away from crowds. He teaches them, but he moves away from crowds. He's always moving on. He more regularly in, in Scripture seems to go to a private place to pray or a private place to have a conversation. And he has these conversations with people, and then he tells them, well, well don't, go, don't go spreading this round. And yet here, we come to Mark chapter 11, and it's, it's the opposite. Jesus seems to be doing something, and he wants people to take notice. He wants people uh, to look at what he's doing. So what is it that Jesus really wants people to see? And he really wants all of Jerusalem to see, because Jerusalem would have been busy. It's, it's the Passover festival. People from the whole country would be streaming into the city. It would be, it would be absolutely like bursting with people. So Jesus has chosen this moment to arrive. What does he want people to see? Um, and well, the first thing I think he wants people to see, I think he wants people to see his majesty. Jesus wants people to recognize his majesty. And I think there's three clues which help us with that. Uh, the first clue is, is the donkey. So half the passage, which Viv just read to us, is concerned about finding this donkey, uh, this foal, which is, um, this colt, sorry, which is the foal of a donkey. So half the passage is concerned with finding this donkey. Jesus is like, you've got to send his disciples off. There's a certain colt tied up, which no one's ever ridden. You've got to go find that colt. And we don't just hear that the disciples then went and brought it back. We then hear about their conversation with the, we're presuming, old owners um, of the colt and how they brought this donkey uh, back. So half the, half the passage is, is drawn to this quite odd little storyline. And yet, in this odd little storyline, Jesus is, is showing something about his knowledge, what he knows 
more than, more than he should know. He knows where this cult is. He knows that he must ride in on it. He knows um, where it can be found. And so this is saying something about his majesty. But also we see something about his majesty in, in how he arrives into Jerusalem. People throw palm branches down on the ground, but people also throw cloaks down on the ground. And, and that sounds a bit weird. <laughs> Why on earth, when Jesus arrives into Jerusalem, do people throw cloaks all over uh, the ground? And this actually sort of is a, a link back to 2 Kings chapter 9, where you get another king is announced called Jehu, um, and is in his announcement, people throw their cloaks onto the ground. So Jesus is reenacting that, that, that same tradition is occurring as he enters Jerusalem. These cloaks are being thrown upon uh, the ground. Another clue, though, that this is about Jesus' majesty is the shouts as Jesus enters into the city. These great shouts of, of Hosanna, which should save us. These great shouts of blessed is the coming uh, kingdom of our father uh, David. This is a messianic sort of cry, a deep, guttural cry of the Jewish sort of people that it reveals their, their longings for this future king, this promised king to come to them and to restore the kingdom to them. And now details aren't really um, given about how he's going to do that. But, um, but they are in these shouts declaring that Jesus is going to come and save the people. He is going to come and restore and bring about David's promised uh, kingdom. So that's the first thing Jesus seems to be demonstrating about his majesty. The second thing he seems to be demonstrating about himself, and he wants people to see, is his meekness. So we see his majesty, and now we see his meekness. And again, the donkey says something about Jesus' meekness. Because who, who, who owns the donkey? Who does the donkey belong to? Well, it certainly doesn't belong to Jesus. We never really meet the owners. We just meet some random people who are standing nearby. The donkey isn't Jesus. Jesus is a king. He's got majesty. But he doesn't even have enough money to own a donkey. So Jesus is telling us something about himself. He's a king, but he's meek. And then we read, like in verse 7, where we're told that uh, the, the colt arrives and then they throw their cloaks over the colt so Jesus can sit on the cloaks on the donkey so he can go into the city. Jesus doesn't even have enough money to own his own saddle. So he doesn't own a donkey. He doesn't own a saddle. He doesn't even have enough money to put his own cloaks upon there. And then we learn something about his entrance. Also reveals his meekness. Because how does a normal king, how does a normal king enter into a city? If a normal king wants to enter into a city in a triumphal sort of manner, maybe after a great, a great victory, or maybe on their coronation, well, they enter at the, at the head of an army. They enter and they're sat on a great stallion or they're sat on a great chariot. They enter and there's trumpets just blowing left, right, and center. And Jesus, he doesn't have the army, and he doesn't have the stallion, and he doesn't have the trumpets blowing left, right, and center. It's just him, and he's just on a donkey. Jesus, he is like no other king. He has majesty, divine sort of majesty, but he is also displays meekness. And he wants the people of Jerusalem to see this. He, he is majestic, but he is also meek. And then the question which sort of bubbles away in our minds, well, why does Jesus do this? Why does, want, why does Jesus want these people to know that he is majestic, 
but he is also meek. His majesty, but he's also meek. Well, I think he's trying to tell them in this grand sort of act, he's trying to tell them, well, here comes your king. Here comes your promised king, Jerusalem. So wake up. Here comes your promised king, Jerusalem. So pay attention. My um, old childhood friend, uh, a lady called Emma, she works for Princess Anne. She's part of her, her events team. And now, um, Emma's job is to um, basically go to every, every location where Princess Anne is going to go three weeks before. And, and Emma will arrive in this location, so a few years back she flew off to Canada. So she flew off to Canada, and every single place where Princess Anne was going to go, Emma went first. And she went to check it out. And she met every single person Princess Anne was going to meet, Emma met them first. And she told them how you introduce yourself to Princess Anne. She told them what the etiquette is with, uh, with royalty. And she prepared them for meeting Princess Anne. Now that is how modern royals, people prepare the way for modern royals. They send their staff there a few weeks before so that everyone is ready and everything is crystal clear in people's minds what needs to go on. And here we have Jesus. His way is being prepared for him. It's being demonstrated that he is coming, that this king is coming with a donkey, with cloaks, with palm trees. It's telling us something that it is, it is a king, it's your promised king who is coming. And why, why does uh, Jesus go to all this trouble to declare that he is this promised king? Well, why does he grab the donkey? Why is he so keen on this donkey? Why does he just walk in? Why does he go to all this effort to make sure it's a colt, the foal of a donkey? Why is Jesus trying to be at so public when he normally doesn't really when he normally spends most of his time in villages and towns, when he normally isn't have the crowds come to him, but then he moves on somewhere else? Why does he go to the crowds? Why is Jesus working so hard to be seen, to be public? And the answer is that he is trying, not trying, he is proclaiming through his actions how he fulfills an Old Testament prophecy. Turn with me to uh, Zechariah, if you have a Bible in front of you. Zechariah chapter 9. I'm afraid I don't know what pages are on the church Bible. But Zechariah chapter 9. Verses uh, 9 to 13, I'll read them out. Rejoice greatly. So this is an Old Testament prophecy. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken he will proclaim peace to the nations. He will, he, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow. I will fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son's arm against your son's grease and make you like a warrior's sword. 
See, your king comes, righteous and victorious, it says there in verse 9, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Through Jesus, through him caring about getting this donkey, through him drawing all the crowds together, he is shouting, he is proclaiming, he is saying, look, come and see. I am the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. I am the fulfillment of this, of this messianic yearning and this hope for this messianic king and this restoration of David's kingdom. He is telling Jerusalem, I am your king. Come and look at me. I am the king who is majestic, but I am the king who is meek. I am the king who's going to bring about peace. I'm the king who's going to bring about, verse 11 from that prophecy, freedom. And verse 12 from that prophecy, restoration. Peace, freedom, restoration is located, it is found, it is nested in Jesus Christ. And through this triumphal entrance, he's drawing eyes, hearts, minds to himself. But how is he going to do this? How is he going to bring freedom? How is he going to bring peace? How is he going to bring restoration? Well, if we turn back to, ver to uh, chapter 11 of Mark, I think the clue is in this really unusual verse, which as we read it, we're like, why on earth do we have this verse? Verse 11. Why do we have Mark 11, verse 11? Because it, it doesn't seem to just naturally go with the flow. You get this triumphal entrance of shouting. You get the palm branches. You get, you get the cloaks. You get seeing, oh, it's the king, and it's fulfilling this Zechariah prophecy. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out of Bethany with the twelve. Why on earth are we told that verse? And yet in this strange verse, which is like, is that just detail? God doesn't give us words which are just detail. God gives us words which have meaning. So what is, this, what is the meaning then of verse uh, 11? Well, I think, it is, I think it is helping us see how Jesus will bring peace and restoration and freedom. I think especially when we read it in context of the chapters which are coming up. So after, in the very next story, Jesus goes into the temple and he clears the temple out and he drives out the money lenders and he says, this is a house of prayer. He then later on gives prophecies about the destruction of the temple. So this, is, this verse 11 is sort of an introduction to these stories and these prophecies which are going to come. So he goes into the temple and he looks around. Because he's not happy with the temple. God is not happy with the temple. And this draws my mind to, to, to Genesis chapter 18, to Sodom and Gomorrah, where God goes down into Sodom and Gomorrah. God wants to see their sin. So he sends down his two angels to see the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And with razor eyes, he looks around. And in the same way, Jesus has now entered the temple, and with razor eyes, he is looking around. He is seeing the sin of this temple, the sin which is the very next gate going to clear out, the sin which he's going to prophesy against. Jesus is going to prophesy against it. He's going to bring judgment upon this, upon this temple. And then he's going to transform it. He will transform the temple so it can be a place for freedom and for peace and for restoration. But how will he transform it? Well, maybe famous words, but let's look at Mark chapter 15, verse 33. Jesus on the cross. 
Mark chapter 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Alu, I can never say it. Alu, alu, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. No words in Mark are accidental. No words are simply description. At Jesus' death, that curtain is torn in two. Suddenly, the, the distance which that curtain represented between the divine and, hum- and sinful humanity, it has been broken. Suddenly, sinful humanity can, can enter the divine. But for us to be one with God, to enter into a proper relationship with, with God, to enter the very presence of God, we need a divine king. We need a king, a prince who's got the key to the palace so that he can open the door and so that we can enter in. So we need Jesus in his majesty, but we also need Jesus in his meekness because we need someone who isn't tainted by the sin of pride, who isn't ruined by our arrogance of all humanity. So we need God. We need Jesus in his majesty. We need this king who can enter and open the door with his key so that we can follow. And we need Jesus in his meekness so that he can take our place. So comes along Jesus, riding on a donkey. So comes Jesus with these shouts of Hosanna. So here comes Jesus with palm branches and and cloaks thrown upon the ground. This great act which says, look at me. Here I come, your promised king. Majesty and meekness. The only one who can transform this temple. The only one who can bring peace and restoration and freedom. I am the one you need. Let us pray. Dearest God, King of kings and and Lord of lords, we thank you that the events of Jesus' coming, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, they did not happen in a corner. We thank you that they are loud and they are bold and they are proud. We thank you, Father God, that all the world can hear and can know how Jesus is the promised king. We thank you that we here today in Sidcup can hear and can know that Jesus is the long-expected, long-awaited promised king. Father God, help us this day and tomorrow and forever to focus our hearts and our minds upon Christ, knowing that it's him and him alone who can bring freedom, who can bring peace, and who can bring restoration. In his precious name we pray. Amen.